Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by. And welcome to the Arcadian Timber first quarter 2020 conference call. At this time, all questions are lined on the listen only mode. After the speaker presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you need to press star 1 on your telephone. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference to your speaker today, Adam Shaparsky. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, Operator, and good morning, everyone. Welcome to Acadian Timber's first quarter conference call. With me on the call today is Eric O'Reilly, Acadian Timber's President and Chief Executive Officer. Before discussing Acadian's results, I will first remind everyone that in discussing our first quarter financial and operating performance, the outlook for the remainder of 2020, and responding to questions, we may make forward-looking statements. These statements are subject to known and unknown risks, and future results may differ materially. For further information on our known risk factors, I encourage you to review our news release and MD&A, which are available on CDAR and on our website at acadiantimber.com. I will begin with some comments on our, our financial results for the quarter ended March 28, 2020. Then Erica will add some further remarks on the business, market conditions, and our outlook for the remainder of the year. Before I begin, I would like to briefly discuss COVID-19. In conjunction with the emergency measures enacted by the province of New Brunswick and the state of Maine, both governments have declared the forestry industry as an essential service. As a result of this, we continued our operations through March 28th, which coincided with a regular seasonal shutdown in the end of the company's first quarter, and as such, COVID-19 had no material impact on our results. Erica will cover our response to COVID-19 and the impact on our business. Sales for the quarter were $31.4 million, almost unchanged from $30.9 million in the prior year period. The increase in sales is a result of the weighted average selling price, excluding biomass, increasing 1% year over year, which reflects a mix more heavily weighted towards hardwood, which attracts a higher average sales price. And during the quarter, Acadian also experienced an increase in timber services activity. These gains were offset by a 2% decrease in sales volume during the quarter. <clears throat> Operating costs of $23.1 million in 2020 were up 4% from $22.2 million in the, same, in the prior year period. Operating costs were higher as a result of higher variable costs per cubic meter offset by lower harvest volumes. The year-over-year -year increase in variable costs per cubic meter was mainly due to longer haul distances to market. Adjusted EBITDA totaled $8.3 million during the quarter, down from $8.9 million in the prior year period, and the adjusted EBITDA margin for the quarter was 27%, compared to 29% in the first quarter of 2019. The decrease in EBITDA and EBITDA margin was mostly due to lower margins from the operations in Maine. Our net loss for the first quarter was $3.7 million, compared to net income of $6.2 million in the prior year period. The variance from the same quarter 
in the prior year is primarily due to an $8.2 million unrealized foreign exchange loss on the revaluation of our U.S. dollar-denominated long-term debt, compared to an unrealized gain in the prior year period of $2 million. During the first quarter, we declared a dividend of $0.29 cents per share, and our payout ratio for the quarter was 74%, which is in line with expectations given the seasonality of our operations. I will now move into the results for each of our New Brunswick and Maine operations. During the quarter, sales for our New Brunswick Timberlands were $21.7 million, almost unchanged from $21.4 million in the same period of 2019. The weighted average selling price, excluding biomass, during the quarter was $68.75 per cubic meter, or 3% higher than the price in the same period last year, reflecting a sales mix more heavily weighted to hardwood, which attracts higher average prices than softwood. Softwood sales volumes were down due to a greater focus on timber services activity than in the same period of 2019. Revenues from timber services and other sales during the quarter increased 15% year over year. Operating costs in the first quarter totaled $15.9 million in line with the prior year period with the positive effect of lower harvest volumes offset by increased per cubic meter variable log harvest costs as a result of longer haul distances and by increased timber services activity as noted previously. New Brunswick adjusted EBITDA in the quarter was $5.9 million, almost unchanged from $5.8 million in the same period last year, and the adjusted EBITDA margin was consistent with the prior year period at 27%. Switching to our main timberlands, Sales during the first quarter totaled $9.7 million compared to $9.5 million in the same period last year. The sales volume, excluding biomass, increased 7% year-over-year, reflecting improved contractor capacity and good operating conditions. However, the weighted average selling price, excluding biomass, fell 3% compared to the prior year. In U.S. dollar terms, the weighted average selling price, excluding biomass, decreased 4% year-over-year to $59.38 per cubic meter. The operations benefited from continued solid demand for softwood and hardwood pulpwood, with U.S. dollar prices for these products increasing by 9% and 7%, respectively, year-over-year. This benefit was, however, more than offset by a 10% decrease in U.S. dollar softwood saw log prices due to pricing pressure resulting from weakness in North American lumber prices. Operating costs totaled $6.7 million in the quarter compared to $6.2 million during the same period of 2019, with higher per cubic meter harvest costs partially offset by a decrease in administrative costs. Variable harvest costs per cubic meter increased 5% compared to the prior year period as a result of transportation costs associated with longer haul distances combined with slightly higher harvesting costs. Adjusted EBITDA for the quarter was $3 million compared to $3.3 million during the same period last year, and the adjusted EBITDA margin fell to 31% from 35% in the prior year period due to lower cubic meter operating margins. And lastly, a few comments on our financial position and debt facilities. Acadian ended the quarter with a liquidity position of $22.4 million. Our cash balance remained strong at $12 million, and was up from $7.6 million at the end of 2019, reflecting strong operating cash flow for the quarter. During the first quarter, we refinanced our long-term credit facilities. We were successful in extending the maturity dates of the facilities for periods ranging from 5 to 10 years. 
The amount under the facilities was increased from U.S. $72.5 million to U.S. $80 million, and we were successful in negotiating a 20 basis point weighted average decrease in interest costs on an annual basis, which will become fully effective after we have drawn the new facility in October when the current facility matures. The company's current U.S. $10 million revolving facility remains in place, and we added an additional $2 million Canadian revolving facility with a major Canadian bank subsequent to the end of the quarter in order to increase cash management flexibility. With that, I will now turn the call over to Erica. Thank you, Adam. Acadian experienced one recordable safety incident among employees and four among contractors during the quarter. These individuals are expected to make a full recovery, and we remain committed to maintaining a culture across the organization that emphasizes the importance of strong safety performance. We support this commitment regular, by regular training and monitoring. Acadian's operations benefited from favorable winter operating conditions during the quarter and good demand and pricing for most of our products. Acadian's New Brunswick operations focused more heavily on timber services activity catching up from the second half of last year. Given this focus, Acadian sale volume, excluding biomass, of 330,000 cubic meters was down 2% year over year, but sales from timber services and other was up 15%. Acadian's weighted average selling price, excluding biomass, increased 1% over the same quarter of the prior year with continued strong demand and pricing for hardwood pulpwood, offsetting weaker softwood saw log prices and a lower quality hardwood saw log mix. Softwood saw log prices decreased 2% year over year, with prices in New Brunswick remaining relatively consistent, but main prices decreasing 9% in Canadian and 10% in US dollar terms, reflecting pricing pressure due to the weakness of North American lumber markets. Hardwood pulpwood prices were 2% higher in, on continued strong demand, and this product represented a larger proportion of the mix compared to the same period last year. Hardwood saw log prices decreased 6% due to a higher proportion of lower quality hardwood saw logs in the mix that were sold from our main timberlands. Softwood pulpwood averaged, uh, average selling prices decreased 2%, while biomass margins improved relative to the same period in 2019 due to a more favorable product mix. At this point of, in my prepared remarks, I normally present Acadian's outlook for the remainder of the year. However, we are not operating under normal conditions. Instead, I will briefly comment on Acadian's response to COVID-19, our focus through this period, and why Acadian is relatively well positioned to weather this storm. In response to COVID-19, our top priority has been the well-being of our people. We have been updating health and safety protocols on a regular basis based on guidance from regional health authorities. Our employees have adapted well to performing office work from home and there has been limited disruption to field work as this work is conducted outdoors and in a manner that for the most part naturally allows for social distancing. We are pleased to report that none of our people as of today have contracted the virus. The initial market disruption caused by COVID-19 took place as we entered our seasonally slow period. Harvest operations for the winter season wrapped up at the end of March, and as Adam mentioned, the first quarter results were not impacted. 
Since then, we have been assessing market conditions while planning and preparing for when operations start back up, which typically occurs late May through early June, depending on operability and market conditions. Our largest customers continue to operate and are experiencing steady demand for most of their products, such as specialty paper and tissue products. This demand supports upstream activities such as whole log chipping and improves the value of sawmill residuals. Having said this, the outlook for the North American lumber consumption in 2020, which is the end use market for softwood saw timber, has been negatively impacted by the pandemic. As the market environment is fluid, we are focused on staying close to our customers and ready to adjust operations as markets evolve through the remainder of the year. While no company is immune to issues in this type of market environment, we believe Acadian is relatively well positioned. Our balance sheet is strong with this year's refinancing behind us and a solid liquidity position in place. We have a large and well-diversified customer base, with our largest customers continuing to operate and many serving end-use markets that are in demand. And our team is experienced and resilient, having not missed a beat through the changes resulting from COVID-19 protocols. That concludes our formal remarks. We are available to take any questions from participants on the line. Operator? Thank you. Just a reminder to ask a question during of one on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. Please stand by while we compile it here register. Once again, that's star one for questions, star one. And our first question will come from Anna Paul Quinn from RBC Capital Markets. Begin. Hey, good morning. This is actually Marcus Hahn for Paul. Hi, Marcus. Uh, hi. Uh, just with the uncertainty surrounding the COVID situation here, do you see any reason to change the dividend policy or even to temporarily suspend the dividend until there's some more clarity? There, there's no change to our dividend at this time, as was noted in our uh, release. We will be uh, paying our, our regular di dividend. We, we believe our balance sheet is incredibly strong. Uh, we've shored up our liquidity position. We've removed the refinancing risk. And nearly all of our customers today are operating. And so with that, um, the board made the decision to, uh, to pay the dividend and, and no change uh, at this time. Okay, thanks. And then maybe on the saw timber side, uh, demand for lumber has clearly declined since the beginning of the year. Can you walk us through a bit of what you're seeing from your sawmill customers and what sort of operating rate you kind of expect in your mill markets? Sure. So our, um, clearly that's a, a weaker spot in, in our markets. Um, we are, we're, we're ben, uh, benefiting from a number of our customers being integrated in terms of you know, owning sawmills as well as pulp mills and, and, and paper mills. And so uh, while there is some weakness on the saw timber side, uh, many of those sawmills also fiber um, regional pulp mills and, and support that, that industry, which is experiencing some, some demand. So that's providing some support for, for that market. Um, yes, you know, 
I think, very consistent with uh, all of the major forecasters. Um, you know, the outlook has uh, eroded since um, earlier this year for for North American lumber consumption, which is the end-use market for our softwood saw timber. Um, a number of our regional customers were experiencing, um, yes, softness, but some support and demand from home centers, um, which, you know, saw some, some demand through, through this, you know, the last several weeks. Um, but, uh, but we expect our, our, our customers to continue to operate, but likely at, uh, you know, some, some market weakness uh, for that product. Okay, and then um, just with the Pixel pulp line that went down in April, do you expect mm -hmm. that it will have any impact on pulp pricing in Maine over the next few months? We do, we do. So we were uh, selling uh, a small portion of softwood pulpwood into uh, that customer, um, and so that will be uh, ultimately re-diverted. Re um, so we, we expect a slight, a slight increase in, in supply in the market or, or less demand um, as a result of, of that incident. Uh, my understanding is that they will continue to operate their paper machine, and so um, that may support demand to the extent they uh, source pulpwood from, from other areas within the market. Um, you know, but that's, yeah, the, the softwood pulpwood market for us will be a bit weaker, but it, it's not a main uh, product line for us. I'm not a main contributor to our bottom line. Okay, uh, that makes sense. Um, maybe swing over to M&A. It seems like the pace of larger transactions has picked up a bit recently across the U.S. Can you remind us what your strategy is around M&A and whether you've seen a pickup in transaction activity in the Northeast specifically? Uh, at the end of, of last year, we saw a couple of uh, bilateral transactions take place uh, in our region specifically. Um, you're right, across North America, we also saw a couple larger transactions, um, and we've been monitoring them. Um, with respect to our M&A strategy, I, I would say our, our primary, we are, we are interested in growing, um, so on a value basis. We continue to uh, look at look at opportunities even through this uh, COVID situation. We you know we continue to look for uh, growth opportunities, value add opportunities, and do work on those. Um, we're we're particularly focused in uh, uh, growth opportunities more regionally um, as opposed to globally. Um, I think that's where I'll uh, leave it for now. Okay, thanks. And then maybe I'll squeeze in one last one. Um, what was the outlook for cash taxes for the year? I'll have to uh, let Adam take that one. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll get back to you on that one, Marcus. All right, thanks. Go ahead. Thanks. Once again, that's star one for questions. Star one. One moment for questions. And I'm not showing any further questions at this time. Okay, well that's that's great. Thank you, operator. And uh, on behalf of the board and the management team of Acadian, I'd like to thank you for your continued support. Please stay safe. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.
customer market and plant operations within ERCOT, and we will be providing the expected contribution from this segment to our consolidated EBITDA guidance range going forward. We will also be providing the expected contribution to EBITDA guidance from the remaining reporting segments, which include East, West, and Corporate, and are comprised of the remainder of our businesses. On the upper right of the slide, you will find our 2019 results recast into these categories as compared to the corresponding results of our 2020 EBITDA guidance range. Later today, in addition to filing our 10Q, we will also be filing an 8K, which will contain restated financials based on our new segments on a quarterly and annual basis for 2019, as well as annually for both 2017 and 2018, in order to further assist you in comparative analysis. You will find some of this information on slide 21 in the appendix to today's presentation as well. The bottom half of the slide provides a bit more color on both the operations within each reporting segment, as well as some highlights on the key components of the integrated margins within each. Focusing on Texas, you should be thinking of our revenue line as retail revenue. While our cost to serve is comprised of both fuel costs associated with generation supporting our load and purchase power to support load in excess of economic generation. Going forward, generation revenue in this segment will be minimal. In the east, our primary revenue will be from retail sales and capacity and also include energy revenues from our plants that are not located near our load. The west is exclusively generation, where our thermal assets in California and associated resource adequacy and energy revenue, primarily comprising revenues on the income statement, while cost of goods sold will again primarily reflect fuel costs associated with those assets. The West segment also includes our interest in the two remaining utility scale projects in California, those being Agua and Ivanpah, as well as our partial interest in our one remaining international generating plant in Australia. However, all three of these interests are accounted for under the equity method, and our share of the earnings will be reported on a single line in the income statement. Turning to the financial summary on slide 11, NRG delivered $349 million in adjusted EBITDA and a robust $167 million in free cash flow before growth for the first quarter of 2020. Texas delivered $195 million in adjusted EBITDA, a $19 million increase versus 2019, largely due to the increase in load from the acquisition of Stream, which occurred in the second half of 2019, and improved margins due to the lower supply costs in Texas. The balance of our quarterly results of 154 million from East, West, and corporate was in line overall with last year's results. However, within this, we did have a few items of note worth highlighting for comparative purposes. During 2019, we recognized a one-time gain of 27 million from the settlement of the Midwest generation asbestos liability. During Q1 of 2020, due to the drop in oil prices, we wrote down our oil inventories in the East by $29 million, which is a non-cash charge to earnings in EBITDA. Offsetting this write-down was the recognition in 2020 of $30 million in outage insurance proceeds related to outages that occurred last year. Finally, 
Much improved availability at our Sunrise facility in the West and the lower cost of operations allowed our adjusted EBITDA outside of Texas to remain flat versus 2019. We saw no material impact from COVID-19 during the first quarter. However, as Mauricio mentioned earlier, over the balance of the year, we currently anticipate an impact of approximately 50 million due to the effects of the pandemic on customer payments, particularly bad debt expense, which we will look to offset through targeted cost management and the ERCOT relief fund. Moving to free cash flow before growth, during the first quarter of this year, we received the 60 million in cash flow items I highlighted for you last quarter, which contributed to robust free cash flow before growth of 167 million. Due to the CARES Act, we expect our free cash flow before growth of the balance of the year to further improve from the delay of approximately 17 million of FICA payments into 21 and 22 as well as the acceleration of 11 million of AMT refunds that were previously expected in later years. As Mauricio mentioned earlier, we continue to maintain strong liquidity of approximately 2 billion. However, as a precautionary measure and to ensure we maintain surplus cash on hand in the event of stress in the banking system, during the quarter, we drew down our revolving credit facility by approximately $550 million to proportionally increase cash on hand. As liquidity in financial markets has improved and we enter the more cash generative time of the year, we expect to repay the revolver balance back to zero. And since the first quarter, we've already reduced that balance by more than half. Finally, turning to an update on share repurchase activity, to date, we have completed 224 million in share repurchases at an average price of 33.05, which consists of 60 million in purchases, which was remaining balance of our 2019 program, and 164 million of programmatic repurchases under our new capital allocation policy. Finally, turning to slide 12 for a brief update on capital allocation activity, our expectations for 2020 are unchanged, with the only item of note being the increase in share repurchases year to date. Having now executed 164 million in share repurchases under the new capital allocation framework through the first four months of this year, we have now completed more than 40% of our targeted share repurchases as a part of our commitment to return 50% of our annual free cash flow to our shareholders, which this year totals 675 million, including our recently increased dividend. The balance of 614 million in remaining capital shown in green on the right of the slide, remains available for accretive investment opportunities. <clears throat> However, should we be unable to find sufficient magnitude of strategically consistent value-enhancing opportunities, we intend to allocate the balance of this unallocated capital to our shareholders. And with that, I'll turn it back to you, Mauricio. Thank you, Kirk. Uh, turning to slide 14, I want to provide you a few, a few closing thoughts. Over the past four years, we have used a yearly scorecard to make sure we communicate in a clear and transparent way our priorities and progress, but also to hold us accountable. As you can see, we're starting to make good progress in some of our key objectives. It is still early in the year, and as a company, we are focusing the important summer months and the safe return of our people to the new normal. I expect to update you all on our capital allocation plan and the use of our excess cash in the coming months as we continue to generate robust cash flows during the summer. 
So before I open the line for questions, on behalf of the entire NRG family, I want to thank our brave frontline workers and first responders for all they do during this difficult time. Angela, we are ready to take questions now. As a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the key. Please send by while we compile the Q&A router. Your first question comes from Shar Parid with Guggenheim Partners. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, good morning. Uh, a couple questions here. Can you can we start off and maybe you could talk a little bit about the landscape of you know potential retail opportunities as we kind of look at the second half of the year. Does the QCT sort of rate relief program and maybe some of your lower estimates around peak demand in Texas maybe take some of the pressure off of the smaller ERCOT books to sell and shift maybe your focus for further buybacks as there's obviously you highlighted. $600 million of unallocated cash for 2020. Do you, do you sort of at this point see anything that meets your, you know, hurdle rates, especially given where the stock is trading here? So a little bit of the, uh, so a little bit of the retail environment and um, any potential inorganic opportunities. And I just have a follow-up. Yeah. Sure. Well, I mean, no, no um, I will say that, uh, you know, definitely the bar is higher because of where our stock is. And, you know, we believe that it's significantly undervalued. You know, having said that, we are monitoring, you know, all the opportunities. I mean, as you said, I think, you know, the environment has changed on the M&A side. Um, um, you know, we continue to be focused on growing our retail business. But uh, we're going to do it in a way that uh, not only meets, you know, on an absolute and relative basis our, um, our hurdles. On an absolute basis, it needs to meet our financial hurdles. But also on a relative basis, it needs to be superior to buying back our own stock and investing in our company. So, you know, we're going to continue to monitor that. And, um, and you know, as I said on my prepared remarks, I think we're going to, you know, we're going to uh, go through the summer, which is where we make uh, most of our excess cash, you know, before we actually give an update on our capital allocation plan and, and give you further clarity on the additional 50% of our excess cash. So that's where we are on that, uh, on capital allocation. Got it. And then um, just, you know, can you, Marcy, get a little bit more specific on your conversations with, with the agencies on an IG upgrade? I mean, are they getting more comfortable around the business risk profile and the retail segment? I mean, clearly what you're displaying today is the sustainability of the model. Um, and, and just going by some of your prepared remarks, it doesn't sound like you're seeing the IG timeline slip due to COVID, as we saw maybe with one of your competitors. So just maybe a quick update on sort of how that conversation's flowing. Yes, well, I mean, I, turn it over, I will turn it over to Kurt because he's had, you know, very direct conversations with them. Um, but what I will say is, I mean, I think we have executed well on, the, uh, on our platform and demonstrated the stability. And once again, this year provides us a tail event that further demonstrates that stability. So as we have to, you know, uh, demonstrate our investors, we also have to demonstrate these to rating agencies. They're not that different uh, in that respect. So, but I'll, I'll just hand it to Kirk uh, to talk about the timeline. Kirk? 
Yeah, so I, I think you covered some of the backdrop I would have given as well, Mauricio. But uh, overall, our dialogue with the agencies remains, you know, active and very positive. Um, I think overall they continue to be satisfied with both our performance and our strategy. Uh, but obviously, as Mauricio alluded to, I mean, given the current backdrop and uncertainty in the broader economy, that's not a favorable set of circumstances to certainly an immediate upgrade. Um, but I would say the fact that, you know, both have maintained our positive outlook underscores their appreciation for our performance and our outlook as well as our balance sheet. And uh, as Mauricio said, look, the current events provide an opportunity for us to prove the resilience of our platform under extreme conditions. And that would provide us a further argument towards that upgrade. I mean, that said, understanding, you know, in, in the near term, I think agencies are likely to take more prudent wait and see, if you will, uh, approach to ratings upgrades. So it's reasonable for us to assume that that may extend the timeline, you know, a little bit, maybe six months forward. Um, certainly that's not our uh, objective or target, but I think we have to be reasonable about, you know, the, the, the pace given the circumstances we're in. But I, overall, based on our dialogue with the agencies, we're confident that with continued performance, uh, investment grade remains achievable at our current leverage level, which we're in line with those uh, targets. Terrific. And then just lastly, I'm pursuing additional portfolio rebalancing for the east-west segment. Um, any, can you just provide a little bit more detail there? Um, yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, I think it's, I've said it before, our generation assets are, you know, close to low pockets. There is significant locational value. You know, we recognize that. And, you know, our goal is to monetize and or optimize, you know, the value and maximize the value. So, you know, when, uh, when the time, uh, uh, when we have more clarity on the plans, we will communicate to all of them. But, uh, you know, we are very focused on rebalancing our, our business, just like we have done in Texas. You know, our goal is to continue rebalancing the East. And uh, we're going to monitor what happens in, in California. So, um, you know, I, that's where, you know, that's the, the information that I can give you uh, today. Terrific. Thanks, guys. Uh, stay safe and uh, congrats on the results. Thank you so much. Same to you. Your next question is from Julian Dumlin Smith with Bank of America. Hey, good, good morning. Can you hear me? Yes, good morning, Julian. Hey, excellent. Thank you. Hope you all well. Um, wanted to follow up on, on um, perhaps let's talk sensitivities about the retail business here. Um, and, and I know you all have a, illustrated the success of the integrated platform, but I'm curious, as you see residential sales trending up here, even relative to commercial industrial, how do you think about that um, positioning you within 20 guidance and what might be the offset? For instance, um, customer attrition, if you will, um, as an example. But I'm, I'm curious how you would position yourself within the context of your current year guidance, given the trends that you're seeing on residential, um, and, and quantifying that a little bit more. Yeah, so, um, you know, I feel comfortable reaffirming the guidance range that uh, we provided to you. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, we're monitoring and we're seeing, you know, how quickly the economy uh, reopens. And that's going to inform, you know, what happens with our, uh, with our uh, customers and customers' load. I think we wanted to show what happened in April, and it's pretty, it's pretty significant, the increase on, on the uh, uh, residential customer compared to small business and, and C&I. 
But as I said, I mean, we need to see how quickly people come back to work. I think that's going to uh, perhaps, you know, help small businesses. Uh, it's going to bring uh, residential back to normal. And CNI, you know, we're going to evaluate because it's not only COVID-19, but also the impact on oil prices. But that's very, very uh, focused on West Texas. Um, I think the, the important thing is uh, we wanted to quantify, you know, so far what is our estimate in terms of the impact of COVID-19. Um, and, you know, we are uh, looking at, uh, uh, we're going to take initiatives, you know, both on the cost uh, management side and the relief fund to offset that. Outside of that, I mean, I think it's just, uh, you know, we, there are so many things that we don't control, you know, how quickly, you know, states open, how quickly um, uh, people are going to go out. I mean, we are encouraged to see that uh, Texas already is taking the first steps to reopen the economy. But, uh, I mean, I think there is still, you know, a lot to, uh, to assess. Uh, obviously, you know, the makeup of our portfolio is heavily weighted towards the residential consumer, but, uh, you know, we need to assess all the other variables. Got it. Uh, fair enough. Um, and then moving over to capital allocation again, and I don't mean to belabor this point, but do you have sort of a definitive point in mind that you can speak to around when we get a capital allocation update and how you think about um, growth versus buybacks. I mean, certainly with is where they are, um, and perhaps less obvious growth angles. I just want to kind of get a little bit more of a definitive sense from you on your thinking on the remaining yeah. unallocated. Yes, well, I mean, first, I, I think we've made really good progress on our capital allocation. We have fulfilled our commitments uh, uh, with our new dividends. Um, we are ahead of pace on our share buybacks. I mean, I, you know, I think in the last call I said we we're going to be very programmatic, but I'm not, you know, tone deaf, and I see, you know, the significant undervaluation of our stocks. So we actually were a little bit more opportunistic this, uh, you know, this quarter, and we're ahead of pace. Um, and then for the other 50% of our excess cash that has been, uh, you know, planned for for growth. Um, I mean, it's early in the year. I want to see, you know, how things evolve in the next couple of months. But I, I feel confident that I can provide you a little, you know, more clarity, you know, in the next couple of months. I mean, we're not going to wait until the end of the year to provide you that clarity if that's, you know, if that's your question or what you're implying. Uh, I mean, we're going to come back, you know, you know, earlier than that to, you know, to provide you more visibility on that additional excess cash. And just to clarify the last question here. With respect to attrition and bad debt trends, um, any concerns on the front? Obviously, you're reaffirming 20 on balance, but I just want to be very specific about those two pieces. Yeah, I mean, you know, customer payment items uh, like bad debt is something that, uh, you know, we are, you know, monitoring very closely because of, you know, we have many customers that have been uh, impacted by by uh, the COVID-19 and, and they are in financial hardship. Uh, we've been working very closely with the PUCT uh, to put together a program to provide relief to those customers. Um, you know, we have provided you already an estimate on what we think that uh, could be. You know, obviously, you know, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna work with the with the PUCT to, you know, to um, uh, offset some of that cost through the relief fund. But also, you know, we have other levers that we're already activating to make sure that. Uh, you know, we mitigate the impact of that, uh, uh, what I describe as, you know, one-time items, you know, due to COVID-19.
Well, thank you. Your next question comes from Stephen Bird with Morgan Lee. Hey, good morning. I hope you all are doing well. Good morning, Stephen. Same to you. Congrats on the good results and the uh, increased disclosures. Definitely, definitely helpful. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, renewables opportunity. I know you didn't uh, sign anything new up, but just given the potential distress and challenges that some of the smaller developers might have, would that potentially create an opportunity to actually uh, own some of these projects rather than simply be an off-taker? In other words, could you potentially sort of, um, you know, for relatively modest capital actually, uh, you know, take over projects for companies that are having a hard time sort of funding their development from here? Well, I mean, at this point, our focus is on our capital light strategy. I mean, we've been there, done that in terms of the ownership. Uh, and, you know, I, at this point, uh, you know, I prefer the, you know, the strategy that we're executing. As, uh, as I said, um, you know, we didn't sign any new PPAs during this time. So I think that should uh, give you an indication that, you know, this thing has slowed down. Uh, and the development of uh, renewables in Texas, you know, perhaps it's just, uh, it's just uh, uh, you, know, pushed, you know, pushed out a little bit. We're very active. We're going to continue to remain active. Uh, we think that, you know, given where the company is, given the balance sheet that we have, you know, we are an excellent off-taker of these, uh, and we, you know, we should be um, uh, signing very high-quality projects. But, uh, you know, at this point, I don't, I don't see ourselves, you know, taking ownership of a renewable project. Understood. I uh, respect that. And then just shifting over to uh, the residential demand and just the overall demand outlook that you provided on, on slide six, which was, was helpful. I guess I'm thinking if, uh, if residential demand were to remain strong throughout the, the summer, maybe into, into the fall, as just we see more people at home and, um, and greater usage there. I mean, that seems to be fairly meaningful. The margins are, are, are attractive on that side of things. How, how important would that be from a, a guidance perspective? Or put differently, if we continue to see fairly strong trends of, of high residential demand, would that be meaningful in terms of the range of the guidance and push you towards the, the higher end of the range? Well, I mean, without, uh, you know, talking about, you know, where you are going to be in the guidance or not, I mean, I think it's, it is uh, important to recognize that our portfolio in Texas is primarily residential uh, customers. Um, and, you know, we have seen actually, uh, you know, an increase in, in demand from, from those uh, customers. Now, as you go into the summer, just recognize that, you know, perhaps April the, the increased demand is much bigger than what you're going to see in the summer months because in the summer months you normally already have people using a lot of electricity. I mean, you know, people, you know, kids are out of school, they come back to – so we don't expect to see the same level of impact uh, as we go into the summer as we have seen in April. So. Yeah, and also it's going to depend on how quickly the economy comes back, right? I mean, small businesses, you know, perhaps they open gradually. Uh, they're not going to open at full capacity at first. So, you know, we're assessing that. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's too early to tell, uh, you know, to start, you know, trying to, you know, make some sort of assumptions in terms of what would be the ultimate impact of our, you know, in our portfolio. You know, obviously, if you have a 6%, you know, increase or 7% increase on, 
on residential demand, uh, you know, for the balance of the year. I mean, that's great for us because, you know, we have a, <laughs> we have a pretty significant exposure to it if that's what you were trying to imply. But I also want to be cautious that, you know, you know, there are so many things that we don't control here. We're, we are, I think we are very well positioned. I think we're managing, you know, the, the, uh, our company and our risk well. But we are also mindful that, you know, there is a lot of things that are outside of our control and we need to just monitor that, assess that, and if we see it, we communicate that to you. Very fair. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our final question comes from the line of Jonathan Arnold with Vertical Research. Hi, good morning, guys. Good morning, Jonathan. Thanks for all of the uh, the, the update. I just have a question on the... Um, the new integrated uh, modeling you know, portfolio data. I think given that you are um, net short in ERCOT, can you just help us sort of reconcile the, the, the positive um, sensitivity to power prices and just, just how to think through that on an integrated basis? Yes. Uh, well, let me just start by, uh, uh, by saying that we're not net short. I think that's, uh, you know, I, I've heard that a couple of times, and, and that's a common, you know, uh, misconception. When we go into the current year, we're perfectly balanced, you know, between generation and retail. You know, I mean, we obviously are going to try to optimize these two assets that we have, generation assets and retail low. But I think you should assume that, you know, when we go into the current year, you know, we complement uh, the production of our megawatts from our plants, you know, with purchases from the market. So, you know, I, I wouldn't say that, we're, <laughs> that we are short. Um, you know, in terms of the sensitivities, I mean, now these are integrated sensitivities at the EBITDA level, which not only is the, you know, the, the interaction between, you know, generation and retail uh, on a gross margin basis, but also all this some of the other levers that we have to ensure that, uh, you know, we optimize, you know, these two parts of the business. So, um, you know, I mean, I think the really the bottom line is those sensitivities, we're trying to, bring, to make them as small as possible. I mean, that's the whole idea of a stable platform is regardless of what prices do, whether they go up or down, our sensitivity is minimal. I think that's really what you, you know, the, the key takeaways uh, of, uh, of um, you know. But, uh, you know, since we're talking about position management, I'd like to, I'd like to uh, you know, turn it over to, uh, to Chris to just, uh, do you have anything else to add, Chris? Yeah, hey, Jonathan, one way to think about the math a little bit is, is, and I'm assuming you're getting the net short because you're looking at, you know, we serve 60 whatever terawatts, you know, 58, uh, 60 terawatts of load, and we've got 40 terawatts of expected generation. So you're saying, where's the other 20? Are you guys short out there? Uh, th those numbers are true when it comes to delivery. Uh, but if you think about out a couple of years, we haven't sold all of that yet. We have the opportunity to pass through price changes. So it's not fixed price that we're short 60 terawatts for the next five years, right? Um, that, that fixed price short rolls in over time, um, and, and we can flex and change price on that. And to that extent, it's not a fixed price short out there for, um, you know, for all eternity, if that helps you think about the modeling a little bit. No, very helpful. We've spent some time uh, on the new disclosure, and thank you for that. Could I, could I just, um, just follow up with one uh, other item? Mauricio, you mentioned this kind of the bad debt number, $50 million. Um, should should we think of that? Is that just an ERCOT number, or is that a 
sort of portfolio-wide number? And should, should we think of that as something that would, you know, persist, you know, if we have a slow recovery, you know, or continues of economic hardship into next year, or is that something you would you would not you you, you did mention you said it said one time, yeah, I think in one of your comments just now. So just maybe frame that a little further. Yes, no, I mean, it is for the portfolio as a whole. And when I say one time, it's because this is very specific to the impact of COVID-19 uh, to, you know, customer payment related items, which, you know, but that is one of them. Uh, so, yes, you need to think about it as, uh, you know, for the entire portfolio. And yes, this is a one time, you know, COVID-19 related. Okay, thank you. I would now like to turn the call back to Mauricio Gutierrez for closing remarks. Well, thank you, Angela, and uh, thank you all for your interest in NRG. I hope that you are staying safe and well, uh, you and your families, and uh, I'll be looking at talking to you in the next couple of weeks. Thank you, and uh, I'll talk to you later. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. Thank you may now connect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.